Welcome to Equivalence by Evelist, a mission-based initiative offering an unbiased source of info to people who aspire to make informed decisions and grow their career in companies who care about gender equity. I am Sophie Luray, and in this podcast, I want to open a dialogue about the notion of equivalence and how it looks like in everyday personal actions and corporate decisions. I invite change agents, men and women who are making it happen in their team, industry, and communities to talk about their journey, their practical tips, their moments of doubt and epiphanies. I hope you enjoy it and tell us what you want to hear about at hello at evelist.org. Welcome to Equivalence Podcast. And for the first episode of the year, we are going to be talking about women in tech, and in particular, in tech engineering. But before we dive in the conversation with my guest, I'd like to give you a, a few key statistics that I find very interesting. So 72% of tech founders believe in the importance of diversity, but only 12% have five or more employees in tech roles who are from underrepresented groups. 70% of women in tech say they have been treated differently at work due to their gender, compared to only 11% of men, while 67% of women don't have trust in their company to handle sexual harassment allegations. Now, when building a product, tech teams, if they are lacking diversity, will miss as well on important features and carry their biases on their product. So to give you an example, Oculus initially caused motion sickness in women because the equipment was developed and tested primarily by men. Apple's health app for tracking the key health metrics initially left off a tracker that about half of the world population might use on a monthly basis the one for the menstrual cycle. The only artificial heart on the market fits 80% of men and only 20% of female. And finally, female drivers are 47% more likely to be seriously injured in a car crash because why? Test crash dummies were modeled after the average male in height, in weight, and in stature. So, before we dive into this conversation, I wanted to tell you a little bit about the, the company where my guest works at. Buffer is a tech company that offers scheduling and analyzing tools to engage on social media. But the reason why we wanted to invite them for a chat is because of the way they apply their values very concretely in and out of the organization. And one is very interesting to me in particular. It is transparency. So they live their transparency value to the fullest. So at Buffer, all salaries are public. They open source their diversity and inclusion numbers, their roadmap, as well as their code. And they were, unsurprisingly, one of the first companies to trust us to be on the EVE score. So I invite you to read the resources section on their website. It's really, really well done. And some of the, the fun facts I was talking about earlier on come from that resources page. Very interesting. So today I am discussing with Joe Birch, a senior engineer at Buffer. Joe is an Android engineer and Google developer expert for Android based in Brighton in the UK. He's passionate about creating meaningful products, diving into new technologies, and sharing his experiences with the community along the way. 
Outside of your work, you're an instructor at Caster.io, an organization focused on development training for tech pros. And you told me you love to dabble in electronic projects in your spare time as well. You also are volunteering in a marine conservation group. So can I safely say you are the ultimate geek? I think that's a good way of summing it up, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Equivalence Podcast, Joe. And I would love to start this conversation with actually you telling me more about what led you to this career. So I actually originally didn't have any clue what I wanted to do like when I when I got older. I was was at college and I think I like pretty much failed all my exams and I managed to get into uni and I started doing a teaching degree because I've always had like a passion for like helping others and being involved around other people. So I didn't really know what I wanted to do and I thought well teaching makes sense like that's what I like doing. I like being around people. But I didn't feel fully satisfied on the course. I, f- I felt like I enjoyed it, but I felt like something was missing. So I decided to drop off the course and switch to computer science. And I ended up doing a bachelor's degree and I stayed on to do a master's degree. And in the last year of the course, one of my lecturer's friends needed an app. And I don't think I had even looked at Android development before, but because it was like a real world project, I just said, yeah. At the time, it seemed like a good idea, but it was a very stressful year (laughs) because I was trying to do my degree and also trying to learn how to work with Android and how to build an app. But I loved it. And that was kind of where it all started. Like, I loved building the app and I loved working with the client. And I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. I want to to build things that people use in their hands. And yeah. Yeah. And solve problems, no? Mm, Yeah. It's a great way of serving others, actually. So you started your career in development in different companies, I assume. Tell me a little bit more about that. I began a, an agency in the city I live in, Brighton. They're called Rebo. And we're kind of like an app shop, I guess. We, just, we built apps for various clients. We did some for Tesco, which is a, a retailer in the UK, uh, Channel 4, and some other bigger known brands as well. But that was a really good experience because each project was about five to six months. So it was a great way of building a lot of projects and working in a lot of different ways to suit the clients. So I felt like I got a lot of experience in quite a short space of time. I was there like three and a half, four years. So I managed to get a lot of experience in that time. But towards the end of the time there, I felt like a need for wanting to work on the same thing. I can really get attached to something rather than letting it go after six months. And whilst that was good, I felt like I didn't really get any of the learnings like once the product was launched. Once something was shipped, we didn't work on it again. It was kind of like we hand it off and we work on a new project. So because of that, I started looking at product companies that I wanted to work for and sort of really get attached to something and learn from it. And I'd always known about Buffer, always read the blog. So when I saw they were hiring, I jumped straight on it. Buffer is actually our preferred partner for our social media account management. And recently, Buffer entered EveList with a very respectable score at 78 over 100. So we reached out to the team and we asked to invite someone from the organization to discuss what diversity meant at Buffer and what women representation in tech roles in particular meant for Buffer. And your name popped up immediately as the person to speak to. So why do you think it is? What made you the person in the mind of the team as an ally to speak to? So I think within the engineering team, we, we do have a lot of people who are like eager to help others and to help others grow. I've quite often share things and write notes to the team about ways we can improve 
our allyship sponsorship and various topics around diversity so i think that's why maybe i was put forward we do have dedicated people at buffer who work with diversity and inclusion throughout the whole organization and yeah within engineering i try and make the effort to help others feel more included and to also reflect that within the work we do and within our network as well I was reading a, a survey, and I, I spoke about it in the introduction of our conversation, a survey released this year by Women Who Tech. And there's a very interesting piece of data, it's very telling to me, about the disparity of perception between men and women on the state of gender equity in their industry or in their, even sometimes in their office where a majority of the women that responded really feel the weight of the inequality or the disparity, where a very small minority of male colleagues are even aware of it. So it's not like they don't feel it or they don't recognize it. It's just they're not aware of it. They don't see it. So as a male ally, have you ever experienced that in your or noticed it in your career? And if yes or no, did you have an epiphany of some sorts that made you realize it? Yeah, I definitely have noticed times like whether it's online or whether it's at conferences or even in the workplace, like remotely, where something hasn't quite sat right with me, where like maybe someone said something or shared something. It's like, well, I don't think we should say that or I don't think we should be sharing that. And in those times, I have felt the need to speak out and, and share stuff. But I have spoken to other people, people from a privileged background who do recognize stuff, but then don't speak out because they may be uncomfortable doing so, or they're worried about any consequences. And then there's also people who don't recognize those things at all. And I think I've definitely been in that position as well, where people were pointing stuff out to me, even times at Buffer, where someone said to me, oh, I think you could have supported me better here. And we could have recognized this. And I've been open to that, like, okay, thanks for showing that to me. And I think that's what it's about as well. It's like, it is a learning experience. If you miss these things out, it's not like you're a bad person. Like we're all learning how to make this better. And I think people who share those things and share those experiences really appreciate that and in helping us learn. Have you noticed guys, not necessarily in the team, but in your career, not really be aware of, I guess, their biases somehow? Yeah, definitely. I'd say more so online, like, on Twitter and also at conferences where people have said stuff and you try to communicate to them. Like maybe I've messaged someone on Slack or Twitter and said, oh, I, just in a nice way, like this didn't quite sit right with me. And maybe we could try saying something else in the future. And sometimes people just don't get it. And they're just like, <laughs> oh, I don't see the problem here. Or they get kind of defensive. It kind of starts going in the direction of an argument and you're like, I don't know what to do here. And I'm like, I've tried, <laughs> I've tried to communicate this in a nice way. And I think I'm seeing this more and more as there's been more awareness of like the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm. There's a lot of opinions people are sharing online around that, like not believing in that and like trying to communicate those kind of things to people. And it's the kind of the same thing. I think some people just aren't open to it, but I think it's still, that doesn't mean like it's a case of like giving up. I think it's just being persistent and keep trying to educate people. Yeah. And I think there's definitely times where I've maybe earlier in my career, like there's probably times... I can think of that I've said stuff or shared stuff that maybe wouldn't sit right with me now. And I've learned, okay, maybe I shouldn't say that or maybe I shouldn't do those things. And maybe there's better ways I can and represent people in the community. What would you recommend to guys that are part of tech teams to be better allies to women tech engineers? I think like the important thing to think about is that allyship is a verb. It's all good talking about it and sharing resources of each other but at the end of the day like we've got to do stuff to make a change 
I think like when I definitely started getting interested in in trying to do more, I was definitely guilty of that. Like I was reading stuff and was sharing stuff and I think I did a conference talk about it. And when I did the talk, I felt like I was actually being a bit more involved. But before that, I was like, I was kind of just sharing stuff and I wasn't actually like speaking out for people and stuff. And so I think it's important to remember that it's like, we can talk about it, but I think we actually have to do stuff to have an impact. I think a lot of thing that holds people back is being afraid to make mistakes and making things uncomfortable, which again is something that I've definitely done. You think I don't want to make this situation awkward or uncomfortable, so I'm just not going to say anything. And if you don't say anything or don't speak up about stuff or don't have those conversations, then you're never actually going to make things better. It's making that first step to doing things. It's very true. I like what you're saying about being a verb. And because it's a verb, there's a sense of movement and action in it. And of course, when there's movement and action, there's mess. It's not clean. It's not perfect. And you have to, you know, accept the idea that you're going to mess up, but at least you're going to try to make a difference. I can definitely concur with you on that because uh, for years, 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 I've produced conferences on women in leadership. And I always had that sense of, this is great. We're talking, we're talking, but is anything changing? So allyship is exactly that. It's that movement. It's that taking the step forward, not just sharing, but yeah, definitely. As well as that, it's like any kind of growth. You do stuff that's outside your comfort zone at work, like maybe you, to become more senior in engineering, or maybe you want to have more leadership at work and you always step outside your comfort zone for that stuff and you'll make mistakes and you get feedback. And this is the same kind of thing, like it's just stepping outside of the comfort zone. It's no different from any other kind of growth. I gave a few data in the intro and there was obviously room for improvement. I know it's the focus of most tech companies since there's a, a real strong correlation between diversity and building better products. So it's not just the nice thing to do, it's the right thing to do. So I wanted to ask you, maybe you know the demographics of your customers, and I would be very interested to know, but what have you been experiencing with gender parity in your previous role, but also at Buffer? And do you see, or do you feel like you're building better products or solving more problems for your customers when the team is more diverse? Yes, definitely. Like looking at our stats in the engineering team, this gender split is I think 66% male, 32% female, and then 2% agender or non-binary. We have a split. It's an okay split. I think it could be better. I definitely could be better. But that is more than my last company. And there definitely is a difference. And, and I think outside of gender as well, like we have different ethnicity and people from all over the world working at Buffer. So there's a lot of different experiences and a lot of different influence that comes into the things we build. I mean, the mobile team's quite small, so I'm trying to think of the scope of influence like outside of that. But when it comes to the products that we build and things we work on, whether it's the design or engineering, I think all of that diversity does come together and, and help us to build better things. It's all the different experiences that come together and the different insights. There's a lot of other stories of companies and we, and we see features that are released for products that make you question like, what are their teams like? <laughs> yeah. You know, we have racial bias in a lot of artificial intelligence and machine learning that always comes up. I don't want to mention, start mentioning names, but I've seen a couple of like location tracking features in popular exercise apps and popular social media apps that a lot of 
women that I know have spoken up about and said, like, I don't feel safe with this. And it makes you question, like, do those teams have women engineers on their teams? I don't think it's well, it's just about those teams being diverse. It's like you could have a diverse team, but are the voices on that team heard? And I think that's something that at Buffer, I would say we have a diverse team. Again, I said it could be better. Over the last like six months, we've had like a few more female engineers promoted to senior, which I think is really important in our teams for that diversity and like in our products. Because like I said, whilst teams can be diverse, I think having people in more leadership positions also be diverse is important for that kind of influence that goes into our work and to the things that we build. You know that the gender gap for women in tech is at the first step up to manager. So at entry level, women are 18% less likely to be promoted than their male peers. So it starts there. If they cannot access some form of leadership position, it is very difficult to have influence on the product development, obviously. Hmm. Do you know the demographics of your customers? Is it more women or male? The gender demographic, I mean. Yeah, I don't actually know. Probably get that stat. It would be interesting to know because it's funny what you were saying is how many products are being built for a women consumer market, but they're built by men. Mm. And I'm not thinking necessarily in engineering, but I'm thinking simply, for example, when I had my second child, I wanted to buy a stroller. And all the strollers must have been made by guys that never, ever, ever pushed a stroller in their entire life because it was so unpractical and so heavy and so difficult. And, you know, simple things like carrying it on one side and having to carry a baby was impossible. So I assume in tech, products that are meant to be by women sometimes are built by men and don't necessarily understand. In the gaming industry, it's been very, very obvious for a long, long time. Now it's changed a little bit, the experience. But in my young days, it was clearly <laughs> not built, even thinking that a girl could actually play a video game. I think as well, talking of what teams are made up of and who they're made up of, like, I think when it comes to things like accessibility as well, I think this is a, another huge problem in our industry. And um, I'm looking at our div diversity dashboard and our technical roles, currently 0% of people register as having a disability. And I think whilst we do have people on our team who advocate for accessibility and they do a really good job of it, question like at companies, like if we don't have people who register as having disabilities in our teams, like how accessible are our products going to be? Because you don't have those experiences and you're trying to maybe think about it on behalf of them. And because you don't have that experience, you can't build a great product for those people. As well as the output on the products we build, I think in terms of like team and your own growth, like being a part of a diverse team is I think huge for your own, yeah, your own growth because having people with new ideas and different ideas to you those ideas are going to question your own ideas. And I think that is really important for the way you think. If you're part of a team, people who look like you, think like you and work like you, you're never going to be challenged in that same way. And you're always, you're always going to do the stuff that you're used to doing and how the people around you are doing it. Whereas with all those new ideas and experiences, that's important for your mindset. And I think outside of the product, there's a lot of growth to be had there as well from having diverse teams. Yeah, for sure. Growth comes from challenges. It doesn't come from comfort, right? Mm. So as a leader, as a manager, as a product developer, and even as a person, just the wealth of being surrounded by people that actually don't think like you and might sometimes have better ideas than you as well. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'd like to know what's been your hiring process. And this question comes in two pieces because we talk a lot about diversity and you mentioned earlier on something that is more about having a voice. So it's more about inclusion and this sense of belonging that makes you contribute to your fullest. So what's been your hiring process at Buffer when it comes to diversity? And also, what do you do to foster that sense of inclusion? Because that's where the magic happens, right? Yeah, definitely. I think from the start of the hiring process, before the job listings up, there's a lot of thought and effort that goes into that. There's people at Buffer who, like Keisha, Courtney, and, and Katie, who do a lot of work into that to make sure that the listing we provide and the candidate pool is, is as diverse as it can be. I think the, the general idea is to reduce and remove any bias from the listing and, and the interview process. So when it comes to the listing itself, I know that the job descriptions, whether it's the language that's used, the images that are used, that's all made to be diverse. So sometimes you're on a job listing and I still see it now, like it's all the pictures are males, white males, the language is referred to as he, stuff like rock star or hacker. And it's like, even stuff like that, it's like, that's not very inclusive. Like even me seeing job listings like that puts me off. <laughs> like I wouldn't apply that. So I know a lot of work goes into that to ensure that people feel they can apply and, and that they want to apply. And I think there's a tool we use called Text.io that all the text from our job listing is run through there to check that the language they used is like gender neutral, inclusive, and, and also clear for any candidates. So once like the job listing's ready and that's all done, I think the listing's generally up for like four to six weeks and that might change depending on the role. But for the first half of that, there's a focus on diversifying the candidate pool. So that is like specifically reaching out to job boards and also groups that focus on underrepresented groups which I think is really important. So we tend to not share that listing so much in our personal spaces until that's done, because I think it's important to get that in there. Um, so there's a couple of boards that got like tech ladies, pocket, revision path, women who code, and black girls who code. There's a huge list that Keisha has to share those listings to ensure that our candidate pool is, is getting off on the right start. And I think that definitely has helped when we hired for a new Android engineer and doing that, like it was really great to see the candidates coming through from those resources. And once that person is hired, what happens to, like we mentioned earlier on, the, the biggest drop happens in the promotion pipeline. So what happens to maintain, I guess, that diversity in the pipeline? and maintain as well the engagement of the team members so they feel like they can contribute and they want to stay and they want to have a career at Buffer. What has been your experience in that process? There's a lot of Buffer does there in terms of making sure people feel included and making sure there is equal growth to begin with, like even when someone joins like in terms of like salaries, all the salaries are equal, like the pay is equal. There's no difference in what that person is offered depending on their background. We have an open salary calculator online and that is like non-negotiable. So based on your experience, that's what, that's what you're paid. So people get off on this, the start of that equality, which I think is important. Um, in terms of like when you're at Buffer, I think one thing that's great is we have weekly one-on-ones like with managers. So open conversations can happen there. And we have a lot of support in terms of 
inclusion, like Slack channels. And we use a tool called Freds, which is like an open space for, for larger conversations. And there's a lot of conversations that happen there. And there's like key people at Buffer who are constantly sharing things around resources and also like key dates throughout the year. Because there's a lot of that stuff happening, like seeing people having those conversations, seeing people sharing those things, I think is important in letting people know that people are thinking about those things and that that is like a key focus for us. If no one was talking about that stuff and no one was like sharing any of those things, it could be easy to think like, is this important to Buffer? Is this, you know, is this anything on their mind? What's interesting to see, I was, again, referring back to some of the stats I've looked at in preparing this conversation, is that a lot of tech companies are actually talking about it, are having groups and discussion and an active policy towards diversity and inclusion. But it's still, as of today, 70%, for example, of women in tech said that they have been treated differently at work due to their gender compared to 11% of men. 67% yeah. don't have trust in their company to handle sexual harassment allegations. So how is that? How is it that you see an effort on the company side, but you don't see it translated within the people? And what you're saying is that you don't have this experience in your organization. So that's what I'm interested in. Is like, what is the magic pill? That's the thing though. Like, I think the important thing is like, this is from my experience. I think whatever company it is, whether it's Buffer or another company, things can seem great and things can seem more happy and shiny, but you may never know what's happening. I try and have a reach at Buffer, but I feel like I'm only in one part and there could be people that I don't often talk to that could be having issues. And at Buffer, we recently had DEI training sessions mm. and to try and help people be more open and be able to help in certain situations. And I think that's important because if people feel like they have people to talk to, then this is where these things arise and this is where we can solve these things and help make spaces better. But yeah, there may be people at Buffer who maybe don't feel like they have someone to talk to. If companies aren't having specific training or aren't making places for like an open space, then that's where retention suffers and that's where people leave. And, and that really sucks. Yeah, it does. And it's a complete waste of talent that goes somewhere else as well. So I guess it's all about safety, right? It's creating this, this environment where you're safe enough to talk. And that leads me to one of my last questions. But recently, I looked a lot into the Me Too movement and the results of the Me Too movement in lots of organizations, not the results, but the side effects has been quite surprising in the sense that the sexual harassment has not really got better or decreased. And a lot of organizations have even more situation where people don't speak up because they feel like they're going to be put on the side. Or some men react to the Me Too movement by saying, oh, I'm not going to hire a woman because I don't want to be in, in a bad situation. Or I am not going to sponsor a woman or mentor a woman for that same reason. So obviously, in your organization, there is a, a very different approach to that. And so I'd like to know, what are your thoughts as a male senior engineer leading a team of men and women? How do you manage a relationship with a junior female colleague, for example? How do you see it post Me Too? So for me, regardless of who I'm talking to, I try and make it more about their experience rather than agenda like i think a lot of the thing we can have a problem doing especially when like talking online or seeking 
people to talk to or people to have talk at conferences, we can make it about, oh, I want a female speaker or I'm looking for a female to talk to. And I think I've often had bad experiences with people doing that because you want to talk to someone because of what they can do and what they're doing right now, rather than just specifically because of their background, if that makes sense. And I think when it comes to people at Buffer and my team, I don't specifically have junior female engineers that I'm mentoring at the moment and I haven't done at Buffer. And I know people who are. So when it comes to mentorship or when it comes to communicating, I make sure that the way you're communicating is inclusive. Everyone benefits from that anyway. So it still doesn't matter whether you're talking to a male or a female or someone who's non-binary. Not making it about gender. It doesn't matter who I'm talking to, who I'm mentoring. And even if I'm mentoring a junior or a, a more senior person, like I'll still talk to them the same. Like I think everyone has a lot of different experiences and just because you're in a, a senior position, it doesn't mean you're necessarily better or in a better position. Um, it's not a lot you don't know, especially if you're talking to someone who's from an underrepresented group who has different experiences to you. And I think it's an excuse. And I think people can often feel threatened, maybe because someone is a female or maybe also because someone has different ideas to them and they're not comfortable in having their ideas challenged. And that goes back to what we said before about having a diverse team helps you become more adaptable to that. Thank you, Joe. I want to ask you as a final question, what would be your advice to young women who are at that stage you were when you, you started studying and who would be interested in building a career in tech? So what would you say to them to encourage them to do it? Yeah, so I think don't be put off by the people in these communities who speak badly or don't think there's an issue in our communities. And there's a lot of people who do care and a lot of people who will speak out in those cases. And the communities I'm in are very welcoming. So I'd say go for it, get stuck in. There's a lot of people as well who are willing to be mentors and sponsors. And I definitely recommend reaching out to people and reaching out to people who you may want to work with and be sponsored or even just chat to. <laughs> and I think the more diverse communities we have, like the better it will be. And I, definitely in the community I'm in, the Android community mainly, over the last few years, it's definitely been getting more diverse. And it's just great seeing different people's experiences like fill up my Twitter feed and it's not the same old white males that it used to be several years ago. I'd love to see more diversity in our communities. So yeah, please be a part of it. And we really, really love you to be here. Great. Can you share with us how our audience can connect with you? You were talking about your Twitter feed, so your Twitter handle maybe, and you mentioned some resources, great resources within the, the Buffer website as well, right? Yep. So my Twitter handle is at hi there, Joe. And in terms of the Buffer resources, we have a diversity dashboard, which is diversity.buffer.com. You can view the diversity within our organization based on like technical and non-technical roles, as well as leadership. And also, I think a great resource is the Buffer blog in general. You can view blog posts on our work culture and how we do things. And there's a lot of topics on diversity and inclusion there, as well as our hiring process. So I think that would be a great place to go. You can also view our code of conduct, which is on our GitHub, which is github.com forward slash buffer app forward slash code of conduct. And that's our employee code of conduct, which tries to ensure to create a safe space for everyone. Thank you, Joe. Thank you very much. It was great, great having this conversation with you. I wish you a great day. All right. Thank you. You too. I hope you enjoyed it. Next episode will be in a totally different environment. 
we will be discussing women in the church with my guest, Katya Adams, the senior pastor at The Table Boston. Here is a quick peek into our conversation. I feel like that takes it one step deeper, where it's not even that we're just following some some rules that some guy came up with, but it hits really deep at the core sense of identity of women, where women are told you you weren't made to influence, you were made to follow. 